the uh, Christmas season reminds us of a baby. And I think back, way back when, when Teresa and I began thinking about babies and having starting our, our family. We read every book you can read, and we, we prayed a lot and crossed our fingers. We did everything we could to try to make sure that the kids would turn out okay. Uh, you know, the first job of a parent is to name the child, right? And so we, like y'all, we've gone through all the different baby name books and scoured them. What does this, oh, that name really means that? And we, we went through, figure, tried to figure that out, what sounded good with the last name. And we wanted a name that was special for our children, a name that would make them proud or that they could live up to or just had a specialness to them. And so my, my daughter, uh, first daughter, Lauren Rochelle, well, she's named after Teresa's only sister, Rochelle. Uh, Nathan Elliott is named after Nate Saint and my hero Jim Elliott. Andrew Mark is named after, well, let you figure that one out. Uh, Samantha Joy is, uh, she, we knew she was going to be our baby, our last one, and she was going to be our joy. And so we named her accordingly. Names are special, aren't they? They're just not a flippant thing. Uh, several years ago, Heath and Deborah Miller of, of New Jersey, they were in the, the news. They've been in the news again recently, something else. But a, a, a grocery store refused to make a birthday cake with their child's name on it. I don't know if you remember this. The child's name was Adolf Hitler. And, and, and yeah, they asked Heath about this. He said, well, you know what? I just liked the name and it was unique and no one else would have it. But then it was pointed out that little Adolf's baby sister was named Jocelyn Aryan Nation Campbell. And you think about these kids. They've got to grow up with reflect their names, reflecting their father's racist views. Views that say that this person is better than that person. These person don't, people don't even deserve to be alive. And you can use violence if you need to. to what does that do to the child? Do you wonder, I mean, the mockery and everything else, what does that do to a, a, a child? Names are significant. They're not, they're not throwaway things. Uh, as in our day, but especially in the Bible days, uh, names were, were very important. They reflected what was going on in that situation. They reflected something about the circumstance of the nation. They reflected hope that they wanted the child to grow into. Uh, think of Rebecca. Remember Rebecca? She had tw- twin boys. And when the first one came out, he had a full head of hair. And she said, man, this kid is a hairy kid. I think I'll name him Harry. But that's Esau, means hairy. So they named that. Okay, that's good. And then the second one came out, and he came out literally on the heels of his brother. He was hanging on to his brother's foot when he came out. And so she named him Jacob, which means to hang on to the heel. You know, I'm real creative. I guess, I guess creativity is not a huge thing when you just deliver twin babies with no epidural. You know, I mean, whatever is going to work, fine. So I can understand that. But, but Jacob's name would become a, a Hebrew idiom for um, deception, to deceive. Remember, when they get older, Esau says, isn't he rightly named Jacob, deceiver, because he's deceived me twice. And if you know Jacob, you follow him through, through Scripture, he was a manipulator. He was a conniver. He, he worked the system in order to advance himself in a major way. One point in his life, he is wrestling with God. And God renames him. He says, you're not going to be named Jacob anymore. Now your name is going to be Israel to, work, to wrestle with God. 
And so the whole Jewish nation is named after their, their father, Jacob Israel, to worship with God. Names, very significant thing. God takes Abram and names him Abraham, father of many nations. God takes Sarai, he renames her Sarah, princess. Jesus comes to a man and says, your name is Simon, which means wavering, unstable. But you will be called Peter, Cephas, rock. Well, well, there are over 200 names in Scripture for Jesus. Over 200. We're gonna, I think we'll just look at them all this morning. That would be our goal. We're not gonna, but the, the, the deal is, each name, they're not accidental. They're not, each name is a different facet of looking through at who Jesus is and what he's about and why he came and what his purpose is. And the more we can understand his names, the more you understand who he is. And he, he gets larger. I love that, that picture in Narnia when uh, they go back after their first time. And, and uh, Lucy says, oh, Aslan, you've grown. He said, I haven't grown. You're the one who's grown. That's the way it is. The, the, as we grow, we see him more for who he is. I don't know about you, but I want to see him for what he is as much as a mortal can before we get to heaven. And so what we want to do this, this morning is we want to look at one text, specifically one verse, that goes over four different names of Jesus. And just look through those, soak on those for just a, a short time and see, do I know him this way? If you've got your Bibles, and I trust you do, would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9. And while you're turning, let me give you the background on this for a second. It was in 920, 930 that the nation of Israel had a civil war and they split. You know that the 12 tribes make up the whole nation of Israel. Ten of those tribes, they were in the north, they split off from the bottom two. And the top was called... They named themselves Israel, or we refer to them as Israel. And the bottom is referred to as Judah, the largest tribe in, in the south. Uh, Isaiah is writing about 730 B.C. And this is what's going on. Assyrian Empire is coming in on the north. They've already wiped out a lot of northern real estate. They've taken a lot of people captivity, into captivity already. They've used some mass genocide. It was just not pretty. And they were knocking on the doors of the north's Washington, D.C., their, their capital, Samaria. And it was a given, just a given idea, a given fact that the north was going down. They were being, going to be wiped out. Assyria was going to take them to the cleaners. That's all there was to it. The question, though, that remained was, what about the southern empire? Certainly, the, the leader of, of Assyria would not come into the south, would he? But the Assyrians looked unstoppable. And they came a long distance. And they weren't interested in going home without the head of the, the king of the south as well. And so they were getting, folk were getting a little bit nervous. I mean, you think you have a bad day, right? Folk were getting a little bit nervous. Because as they were looking into the future, famine, siege, every kind of moral and spiritual decadence that you can imagine is running rampant. Right now, the king of the south is a guy by the name of Ahaz. And, and Ahaz, he's got some good things going for him. He's in the line of David, but he's a... He is just a shipwreck and a half, man. He, he is morally a mess. The people have nation, including starting in the government, has long since abandoned God. And the, the Israelites were really no different than a lot of the ancient peoples. The king 
was your political leader and your military leader and your spiritual leader, especially for the Israelites. And these guys were, were a mess. This was part of their problem. God had come to Abraham, remember this? And said, I'm going to bless you guys. I'm going to protect you guys. I'm going to be your God. And he made those same promises to Isaac and then Jacob. 350 years before this time, God comes to David. He says, David, you need to know that your, your throne, your reign will be perpetual. And you will have a son always on the throne. And, and, and he's going to be a son of righteousness. I'm going to bless him. And, and so what these people are thinking is God has made all these cool promises. Certainly Assyria is not going to come in and get us. Nothing bad can happen to us because we've got the temple. We've got the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies in the temple. God's not going to let. He made these promises. Nothing is going to happen to us. And so they thought they could do whatever they want to do. No consequences. So the people of the day are, are looking at these promises God made to David and Abraham, David. And then they're looking at Ahaz and they're thinking, this is it? You know, this is this, is this great promise. This is a great spiritual leader, the son of righteousness. And all this is Ahaz? This is the best you can do, God? And they were, they were struggling a little bit. I wish Christmas didn't have to be... Uh, have to, have any pain associated with it. And I'm not looking to be a, a, a wet blanket for Christmas. Uh, however, you know as well as I do that uh, pain doesn't take a break because it's, it's Christmas time. I think we could take a vote. Let's just vote, man. Three or four weeks, all pain can't happen during these four weeks, right? We're just going to sit on the back burner, troubles, issues. We'll pick them up again in January. But for these four weeks, nothing bad can happen. But that's not the way it works. I've got a, 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 a relative who uh, a few years back on Christmas found out that her son had a uh, term, terminal cancer. The ironic thing is several years before that, her first son was in an accident on Christmas Day and died. A couple years after that, believe it or not, second son, accident on Christmas Day and died. Christmas for her is not a happy, jolly thing. And, and, and you, you know, my, I've got another brother who uh, his wife left him. He was a pastor. Wife left him for a woman at Christmas time. I've got another very close relative whose life came to a screeching halt through this horrific relational thing at Christmas time. Christmas is just unfortunately not the greatest, jolliest time. It's, we like it to be when you're a kid. It's always, but it's just not that way, right? And maybe for you, this, this Christmas season, uh, you're conscious of a relationship that's gone south or someone who's walked away from the Lord. Maybe as you get together with your family, there's either a health issue for you or one of your kids or one of your grandkids that, that is going wrong right now. Maybe for you, the economy and the job situation. Or maybe you're just like Charlie Brown. You know, you're not sure why, but you just have this cloud over you. Think it's just depressing. Something's not right. And that's, you're, you're not far from where these people were in I, Isaiah's time. And so he writes to them, beginning in, in verse 1 of, of chapter 9. And he says, nevertheless, he's talked about some of the things that I've even mentioned to you that have been going on in the nation. It says, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan. Uh, Zebulun, Naphtali, they, they, were, they were 
portions of land, uh, tribes, up north around what we call today, you know, the Sea of Galilee area, region of, of the Sea of Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles. By this time, they were already under Assyrian control. Not a whole lot of Jewish people left there. People were imported who were captives from other lands. It was under a pagan control at this point. No one gave a whole lot of credence to uh, the Sea of Galilee, the, the Galilee of the Gentiles. And you would think that if hope was going to come for these people, it would come out of Jerusalem, right? The capital, I mean, the, 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 the temple, and it, it would come from there. But Isaiah says, oh, no, 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 no. The, the area of the, 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 the Gentile, the Galilee of the Gentiles, Nazareth is up there. And we know that Jesus, Micah tells us, had to be born in Bethlehem. He was. But then, as a toddler, moved to Nazareth, area of the, the Galilee of the Gentiles, that was his home. That was his home. And Isaiah says, you, you need to be looking beyond. If you're going to see what promise of Christmas is about, you have to be looking beyond your own little little world. God's going to come in ways you don't, don't expect. In verse 2, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. Just, just a lot of darkness. And I, love, I wish we could spend a little more time on this, this light thing. It's really kind of cool if you do the study in Scripture. In Genesis, we know that God created light before he created the sun. And you go, how in the world did he do that? What is that about? Then you go to Revelation, and it says in heaven, there's no sun there because God and the Lamb will be its light. You, you, you follow this whole idea, this metaphor of, of God being the light. And here, it's just dawn. It's not fully up yet, but it's coming. Isaiah says, y'all are looking in the wrong place. All you can see in your, your landscape of pain and hurt and disillusionment, uh, you need to look up. It's, it's, it's coming. And so he points them to a promise. If you skip over to verse 6, he says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Notice the, the recipient first of this gift. It's a gift for to us. It's to us. Didn't the angel say that to the shepherd? For unto you! is born this day. This is, to us. This is not just a, a, ran, this is a, a random person born. This is a gift. And look what it is. A child is born. This is two things about this. But he's very human. Very human. 100% human. Child. Very vulnerable. Very vulnerable. That's not what they were really looking at. Now after he's told them that this this gift, this, this child, this very human uh, individual, he goes on and he says, he's not just human though, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Each of those terms, each of them depict uh, divinity. Each term, each of those. You see, this is the incarnation. I just had to just really set these guys back. What are you talking about? This guy's human and yet he's God at the same time? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And so first one he says is his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. And wonder, you know, we think of wonder, we think of astonishment, you know, and surprise. And, you know. That's not far from what the word means. But the Hebrew means 
um, to set apart, to distinguish. And the idea is something so other, so different, so God-unique, that when you see it, you know it had to be from God. You just We would say, blows your mind, you know, knocks your socks off. It's just... Now, the world has a lot of substitutes for wonder, don't they? I mean, I think, first of all, I think we were created for this. This is something God put into us. But the world has their substitutes for wonder. Uh, amusements, um, sensationalism. And the problem with worldly substitutes is they all work on the, the law of diminishing returns. I think you get it. It's exciting. It's wonderful. It's incredible. Uh, but after you, you've experienced it for a while, eh, it's all right. You need something more. You need something else. When it becomes old, it becomes familiar, it becomes mundane, you just have to move on to something else. Hence, what you've got, especially I think in the West, is you've got a lot of bored people. Uh, millions of people looking for um, artificial, artificial environments, artificial experiences to deliver them from the tedious existence that they call life. And so they bounce from one thing to the next thing, just looking for that. They haven't found the wonder that they could find. It's right here. And so Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Now, the word counselor really bespeaks a king. And we know what we think of when we think of a counselor. And there is this nuance here of, of wisdom. But, but really, it's a leader. It's a leader that will blow your mind. Now, keep in mind, they're looking at, at Ahaz. Is the leader, that will, this is the leader? And Isaiah said, no, there's a leader coming. Real Davidic line that will blow your mind as far as his leadership ability. With the nuance that he's, he's wise. Now, I don't know if, you, if you've ever experienced or been the victim of uh, unwise counsel. Have you ever been? Probably 2000, I think it was 2006, I had a buddy, another pastor across the hall. He said, Mark, listen to what I found. I've got to share this with you. There's this guy, I'm not going to mention his name, but he, he would give and send a, a newsletter on a regular basis. And if you took his counsel and you played the stock market, you know, E-Trade's a wonderful thing, right? And you play the stock market, you can make some serious money. Look how much I've made in just the last couple of years. I thought, well, man, okay. I'm at least as smart as this guy. I can do this. All right, I can pull this off. So I didn't have a whole lot of money, but I put some money into it. And I, I started going with this guy's counsel and making my own. And you know, I'm telling you what, I was like E.F. Hutton. I mean, I was like Midas. Everything I was touching was growing and stock splitting and splitting again. And I was, <laughs> every time, every morning, I was like, oh man, look how much richer I am. This was, this was working okay. I was going to go into business or something. This was fantastic. Until 2008, right? And suddenly you saw them start to drop. And you were told, hang on, just hang on, just hang on. It'll rebound. But it didn't rebound. <laughs> it just kept dropping and dropping. And before you know it, it, it evaporated everything I had made, which wasn't so big of a deal. But it started going further into the stuff I invested. And it kept going further and further. Just hang on here. Are you serious? Well, I, not the greatest counsel. Uh, maybe you've received great counsel over the years, like uh, you two should be together. And right now you're going, oh, why did I listen to this guy? He was supposed to be my friend. Or maybe counsel, ah, your parents are trying to ruin your life. Just tell him you're coming over to my house to study and we'll go to the party. That's a real winner, right? That gets you in some kind of trouble. Or maybe just follow your heart. Or, 
man, stand up for yourself, man. You, I'll tell you what I'd do if I were you. I would tell her where to get off. Now, that's good counsel. That's going to work well for you. And so maybe right now she'd sit and say, yeah, I've had some things. I listened and it was just not good counsel. But now Jesus, one of the reasons why he's a wonderful counselor is that he knows everything about you. When we uh, need counsel, what do we do? We go to our logic, right? Which is not a bad thing. Logic is not of hell. Uh, but it's very limited. There are things about me I don't know. I definitely don't know the future. There are things about you I certainly don't know, and I've got to try to make a decision that's going to tie all these things together. And so maybe I'll go to friends, and in the, the multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. But if my friends don't come from a biblical worldview, their number one goal is not seeking to honor God what he wants, then they could be leading me the wrong direction. And they certainly know less than, than I do about myself and the, the situation. And so I'll read a self-help book, which isn't a bad thing necessarily in and of itself, except for again, its worldview and where it's, it's trying to lead me. Some folk, many folk in the U.S. will go to their horoscopes and fortune tellers trying to figure out, get some wisdom, get some counsel here. Uh, maybe you'll, you'll go to see a, a, a certified counselor. Again, not necessarily a bad deal. Sometimes we get stuck and we need someone to help us process uh, what's going on. But if we get the wrong person, they can lead us over a cliff. Jesus, on the other hand, Jesus, on the other hand, and this is so, so important because Isaiah is going to say later on, he's going to say, woe to you who go to Egypt for help and who rely on horses and who put your, your faith in the strength or in the multitude of your chariots and the strength of your horsemen, but you fail to look to the Holy One of Israel. Now, it may not be a bad thing to do these other deals, but we have to start going to Christ because He knows us better than anybody. Scripture says that He's got every hair on our head uh, counted, that every tear you've ever shed He has in a bottle. He has not forgotten that. He knows what you were dreaming about at 2.15 a.m., Three days after your third birthday. He knows everything that's ever happened to you. That thing that's in your, your heart that happened in college that you haven't told anybody. You're not telling your spouse about this. He knows that very well. That thing that you did that you're very ashamed of that no one knows. He knows. He knows every confusing thought and every anxiety and every uh, belittling, uh, caustic, cynical, depressing idiosyncrasy that makes you feel like, you know what, I'm just coming unglued. He understands all of that in spades. And that's why he's the one we need to, to stop off at. And maybe this Christmas season you can say, you know what, I'm in the, <laughs> I've got some big decisions. I got some, I'm just feeling confused. I'm feeling adrift. I'm cut off. I could sure use a wonderful leader for my life because I'm leading it going nowhere. Uh, Maybe you would need to know him this Christmas as the wonderful counselor. He goes on, the second name, and he says that he's the mighty God. Now, all of the names, again, bespeak divinity, but this one more than any of the others. It talks about... A way you could translate it would be powerful hero. Again, these folk are watching Ahaz. He's not very powerful. Matter of fact, he's kind of a wimp. And they're watching the Assyrians beat up on their their brothers and get closer and closer to their doorstep. And they're trying to figure out their king should be the one to protect them. So they look to Ahaz and they're going, oh man, we're in all kinds of trouble. Ahaz is just not going to be able to pull this off. He's not going to be able to do it. 
in the in the West, what we do is we have a sense of security, probably better than most of the world. I think we've got uh, our bank accounts and medical technology, which is incredible, and we've got. Um, police force and fire force and we've got our constitution we have our our, our rights and appeal process and and we have uh, medicaid and government assistance if you need these things you're very grateful for them they give you a degree of security they give us they, there's always something that we can fall back that's going to help us we're going to be able to make it through it's what a lot of the rest of the world doesn't have but even with that we know that it's uh, incomplete security at best. It's a false security because we still stockpile guns and food and money. And, and we know, even with all of that, we can have all the bomb shelters in the world, but we still know one day something is going to get us. It's going to get something will. Something will one day. And it's going to take on people you love too. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. You can slow it down maybe, but there's nothing you can do to stop it. What kind of security is that? And to those folk who are feeling insecure more than anybody else at this point in history, he comes and he says, the Messiah, the king, the one who's supposed to be leading that, when he comes, I'm telling you, he's going to be mighty God. He's going to have all the power of God. He's going to be God and he's going to use it for your benefit. It's going to be like he's going to put a cocoon around you. Where nothing can get to you that does not come through him. Now, sometimes he lets stuff in. Can't explain any of that. But nothing comes into our our lives that doesn't come through him. He's our our mighty God. Maybe this year you would say, you know what? Fear is, is, is ruling me. And I need to know this Messiah is the mighty God. Maybe I just thought he was a nice person. He was a good person. He was good. He's some historical figure lived a long time ago, but he's not mighty God for me. He goes on and he says, also, he's going to be called Everlasting Father. You know, I used to, this one really set me back for quite some time. I mean, I'm a Trinitarian. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. They're not interchangeable. They all don't you know, change roles. And, and, and the Holy Spirit can never be the Son. It's, he can't be the Son. And, and God the Father can't be the Holy Spirit. Can't do that. And Jesus the Son cannot be the Father. And so I'm looking at this going, well, how do you, how do you explain this one? And part of our problem is we look at our theology in the New Testament, which is much further progressed than what they had here. We take our vocabulary from the New Testament and we try to read it back. We've got to be careful that we don't read our New Testament theology too deeply into the Old Testament. What the word meant, Father, was it was just the author. It was the originator. Well, Jesus is the originator. Colossians 1, 15 and 16 Let us know that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created. It's like John 1. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Now, check this out. Ecclesiastes 3.11. Very interesting verse. It says, He's made everything beautiful in His time, and He also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I believe that this eternity in the human heart is a thirst and desire for the eternal, for God. You know what amazes me 
is my only experience, your only experience has been in this world. Everybody's experience has been only that no one gets out alive. That, that uh, everybody is going to die. But every time you go to a funeral, you sit there. And this is all anyone's ever experienced. But still you know, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is wrong. Well, where did that come from? It didn't come from anybody's experience. We haven't experienced other than that. It's simply because God has put eternity in our hearts. That's where that comes from. But yet we don't know. We can't find him. It's like he's put a, the, the, the glass slipper in our heart. And so what the world does is they go around trying to find every pretty thing or ugly thing if that doesn't work and try to get it into that, that glass slipper with Vaseline, that baby, trying to get it in there and make sure this one fits. But we know it doesn't fit ever. And so we go from one thing to the next to the next, trying to figure the thing that fits, and nothing will fit because it's only, only God is going to make that, is can fill that void. Only God. He, he is the everlasting Father. What that speaks of is relationship. And again, if you think about this, the uh, people knew of Ahaz. They didn't know him personally. Uh, they, 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 they knew of him. And, and Ahaz didn't know his people, didn't care to know him. And Ahaz's mind, the only benefit of the people is they were a buffer between himself and the Assyrian armies. And according to Ahaz, the people's responsibility was to give themselves for him. The people's responsibility was to serve him. The people's responsibility was to sacrifice for him. That's right. That's what they were supposed to do. And the people thought this too. They thought, yeah, that's our, our task. That's what, we're, what a terrible caste system. And Isaiah's looking at them saying, oh, no, 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 no. When, when the, the, the promised one of the Davidic line comes, the, the Messiah, you know what? He's going to come as an everlasting father. You're not going to sacrifice for him. He's going to sacrifice for you. Tell me, dads. Uh, you, first of all, you probably, I'm guessing now, I'm going to assume this, but I'm assuming you don't consider yourself a better father than God. If that's the case, tell me, what would you do for your children? Anything, right? Anything. You'd make any sacrifice if it would be for their benefit. You'd do everything you can for them. And what he's saying is this one coming is going to love you so much, care for you so much, that he's going to take all this power of the Almighty God, he's going to take all this wise leadership of the wonderful counselor, and he's going to lead you accordingly. You're not going to be alone. Maybe this Christmas time, you know what? You're feeling somewhat alone. You're just the victim of a lot of stuff in the world. People, things, everyone coming down. You're very alone. No one understands. There's one who does. The, the, the Messiah is everlasting Father. It's relationship. He does know. He does know. And he cares. And he, he loves. Then he gives another the last title. He says, he's Prince of Peace. And we'll, we'll look at that and we'll say, are you serious? Prince of Peace? You know, look at the, the headlines is all as far as you need to go, man. I mean, this, this, this week, you've got a bride pushing her husband off a cliff. Uh, you've got us almost getting into it with China, militarily speaking. You've got wars going on between uh, Iraq, between Afghanistan, between Somalia. If you spun a globe and stuck your finger, as long as it hit land instead of water, odds are high it would be a place of political unrest. Where in the world is 
the peace. And you need to know, you need to know, this is important, that Jesus is going to come back, the second advent, and when he comes back, he's going to take care of peace politically, militarily. He's going to do that. He promised that's what he's going to do. But in his first advent, Jesus knew that, that your biggest issue, my biggest issue, is not that we're at war with each other. It's that we are at war with God. Bible says that there is enmity between ourselves and God. We don't even know it. We have nothing against God. But the Bible says that we are at war with God. And Jesus knows, I've got to fix that one first. That's the most important one. And so he, he comes, Mark chapter 10. He says this. They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. The disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. This did not surprise Jesus. This is why he came. Now, this is very important because no other world religion, I mean, name one, name somebody, no other world religion, their leader, did their leader come to die? No other world religion is much made about the leader's death. Actually, you try to keep that quiet, push that under the carpet. This was, this was the reason why Christ came, was to die, to rise again. And this is why. Peter's going to explain a little bit why. It says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. So while Jesus was on that cross, somehow... That our sins, your sins, my sins, in the future, though they were, they were taken and put on Christ's back. That we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Peter will go on, or actually right before this in chapter 1. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, handed down to you by your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. This is why Jesus had to die. It's why he, he had to die. Now, these, these people might be looking at this saying, well, what can I do to expedite this process? This guy is coming. This one in Davidic line is coming who's going to be a wonderful counselor. He's going to be an incredible leader. Uh, a divine leader. He's going to be almighty God. He's going to be powerful, more powerful than any of my little problems. He's going to love me, everlasting Father. We're going to have a relationship. He's going to bring peace. I mean, real peace, not just a feeling, real peace. How, what can I do to get this? Maybe we can do, be better. Maybe we can go to church more, read the Bible more, be nice and kind to each other more. Because if we do those things, God will smile on us more and give us these things, right? Verse 7. It says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And this is the how. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Zeal is his passion for us. There's nothing we can do to earn this. There's no way we can, we can usher in the, the Messiah, be good enough for these things about who Jesus is to be true in our life. Now, the passion of the Lord will accomplish this. It was a Christmas time, about 20 years ago, where a gentleman here in our congregation was living in pretty intense darkness and came to find the Messiah in all that he brings. Let's, let's look at the screen and, and see his story.
I'm a recovering addict. It's uh, one of the biggest things. And uh, before uh, knowing the Lord, uh, I lived uh, about 20 years uh, chasing that. I ended up in jail, and robbery of a drugstore, sales, possession of drugs, and it just never got better. And then they put me in a place in Ohio in a treatment center, and it was there uh, things started to change for me a little bit. I got introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. I went for about 16 months. I was sober, and uh, I went, I went and used, and uh, ended up in a treatment center right after that. And then I went another three years, and I used again, and uh, uh, just everything caved in on me again. And uh, something happened, and uh, I just recommitted. You know, I met somebody at my business uh, in Erie, Kaylee's Corner, and he was a real big guy, about six, seven, and he uh, came in my ice cream shop one night and he says, hey, I need some homemade ice cream. Uh, my wife's pregnant and that's all she'll have. I said, okay, and uh, he said, yeah, I just moved from Chicago, I'm working with FedEx. I said, oh, great. I said, where are you from? He said, Pittsburgh. I said, Pittsburgh? I said, you must be a Steelers fan, because I am. He said, no, I'm a Browns fan, I thought. Man, did you bump your head or something? Yeah. And he said, well, I played for the Browns. So that got my attention. So over a few months period, he kept coming back in there. And uh, there was something about this guy that uh, just had a peace about him. He had something I didn't have. I just couldn't put my finger on it. So he kept coming around. And uh, then he, we'd go golfing together. And you know, I'd hit the ball wrong and possibly use the Lord's name in vain. And he'd say, you know, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't say that. I think, you know, who are you? <laughs> One night we went out for dinner and uh, with my wife and I and his wife. And uh, the food came, getting ready to eat. He says, I'm going to pray. I was like, okay. He started praying out loud. And I, I, I wanted to, like, crawl under the table because I knew a lot of people in the restaurant. And, uh, uh, but, you know, we, we got through that part. And then, then he asked me to come to church. And he never said, you know, you need Christ in your life. He never came at me like that because he probably knew that that would just turn me right off. And uh, so he invited me and I told my wife that uh, I was going to go. He asked me several times and she said, where are you going? I said, uh, this mission church up on uh, uh, Zimmerly. And uh, he said, she said, you know what, you can go there, but don't ask me. Plus our marriage uh, really needed some help. And uh, it was a point in my life where I could have went back to where I came from. So I said, I'm going to go. I don't know what it was, but I was going to go. So I start going. And I'll never forget the first day I came here. Uh, the congregation was small then. It was about 350 people. It was in the old sanctuary. And, uh, and then I looked around and I saw a lot of people I knew. And a lot of them I knew from my business. They were customers of mine. And... A lot of them were like just all family people, always seem really nice, you know, polite or whatever. And uh, so something, something happened. So I kept coming and a uh, pastor was having salvation messages every week, it seemed like. It seemed like he was talking to me every week. And after me going about seven weeks, my wife said to me, she says, hey, uh, I think I want to go to church with you. I was like, what? She said, yeah. She said, I think I see something different in you. And we were getting babysitter for our kids because we sh we weren't sure if we wanted to bring them. And it was the week of Christmas, and uh, Pastor Crocker uh, was preaching and uh, did a salvation message, and you know wanted to go. And 
My wife reached over and grabbed my hand and said, come on. So we went to the altar and uh, cried like babies and repented and asked Christ into our life. And uh, you know, that was almost 20 years ago. And since then, uh, our life has drastically changed. You know, I know it's through God's grace and you know, I have a purpose for all that baggage that I carried around and you know all that you know I was a liar a thief and a con man and I thought I was going to die that way and you know I have truly been blessed maybe this Sunday where you sit, you're sitting in the same place Frank was sitting in 20 years ago. And our stories are all different, different stuff, but you'd say, yeah, you know what? I don't have what he said he has. And that's what I need. Well, you can have that today. You can know Jesus as your wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. This is why he came to die for your sin, for your junk, for mine. That he would come in. If we come to him, we repent, we surrender. He'll make all things new. So let me ask you, do you know the Messiah? According to scripture, his description this Christmas.